giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Mirabai Knight. Hey there. Howdy. How's it going? Pretty good. Good. So your name came to us because you apparently do this amazing real-time captioning thing. It's like the best job in the universe. Yeah, right now I'm working mainly with a company called White Coat Captioning that I help to sort of get off the ground. Uh, we specialize in captioning tech conferences mm-hmm. and also uh, deaf and hard of hearing college students, specifically medical, veterinary, dental, and pharmacy students. So we, we try to do sort of the, the really difficult, challenging technical type material. Nice. Uh, so like this would be like in actually a lecture, like a med school lecture. You're like live captioning there or from videos? Yeah. yeah. So for, for the uh, medical side of our work, it's mainly it's mainly lectures, though we also do some clinical and lab work as well. You know, a student can carry around an Android tablet or we've even done a little experimental work on Google Glass, though sadly the technology was not quite ready for prime time. Wow. Um, maybe the enterprise model that comes out in a couple of years will be more appropriate. But yeah, so that's primarily like one-on-one just for particular deaf or hard of hearing student. Mm-hmm. And then the tech conference captioning is for the entire audience. So for people who might have a hearing loss, which is about 15% of people, but also the like 20% of people who are non-native English speakers, people mm-hmm. who want to take notes, journalists, uh, anyone who might just want to see the last 10 lines or so of what's being spoken sort of in front of them, uh, who like, you know, dual mode input both into their ears and their eyes at the same time. So it's actually proven really popular um, among the tech crowd. That's awesome. So yeah, so there's no way to do this with with QWERTY, right? No, no. I mean, like, especially coders tend to speak at the like extreme upper limit of the human speech range. Uh-huh. So people will often get into like 280, 290 words per minute, you know, just giant streaks of, of, of really dense, hardcore technical jargon. Mm-hmm. So basically, the only possible accommodation for this is steno. We actually did a full stack fest in Barcelona last weekend um, with the three of us working over the internet and here in the US. And for the first two days of the conference, they tried doing it with like someone speaking into a voice recognition setup and then mm-hmm. having someone like, you know, live edit any errors or, or issues. And it was apparently disastrous. Like mm-hmm. the quality was very low. They were far behind they would make all sorts of mistakes because speech recognition honestly is just not at a level where even even with a trained speaker um someone who's who's specifically re-speaking everything into the mic as clearly and and, uh precisely as possible Mm -hmm. even so like the black box that is speech recognition just does not have the the ability to correctly transcribe something as difficult as a tech conference so halfway through the conference they fired them and brought us in and we we did the the last two days of it it was really fun nice so can you give us the uh, beginner's guide to steno Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Um, It's actually a technology that was invented in 1911. And other than getting hooked up to computers around 1980, it hasn't changed. Um, The layout was very cleverly designed by a guy who basically just did a ton of manual number crunching on letter frequencies in English. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like a courting based system instead of the the regular courty style where you're doing one keystroke per letter, Mm -hmm. you're doing one chord per approximately syllable, though you can also map it to words and phrases. Um, That extremely long place name in Wales has been getting a lot of press lately around the internet. Um, And that's something that pretty much every stenographer I know has in their steno dictionary as a ringer, where, you know, because people will just 
bring it out of nowhere, like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious or antidisestablishmentarianism. It's one of those things that people just say to test us. Uh-huh. So we've always got like one or two stroke shortcuts for those big long words <laughs> and just like plunk out there and then it'll, you know, stream out on the screen and we'll look really impressive. That's awesome. So you can really set uh, any steno stroke to an arbitrary translation, but by and large, it works out to be one stroke per English syllable. Hmm. And so there's a, there's, is there a standard set of these and then people will add their own customizations on top of it? Well, some, it's, it's what I call a phonetic mnemonic theory. So a certain subset of definitions in the dictionary will just be straight phonetic mappings. Um, but then a good, well, it, it, it depends on the stenographer, but a, a significant portion of the dictionary will be that own stenographer's sort of little secret internal language where they come up with hmm. mnemonic hooks that they can easily remember and write whenever they hear an English word that doesn't have a, a strict, convenient phonetic mapping. Hmm. Interesting. So, so for a word like hello, uh, or for, for any, any so longer word, you have some sort of, it's, a, it's one chord or a combination of chords generally broken down per syllable? Yeah, so like hello is a good example. Yeah. So you would you would definitely have hello as two syllables, mm-hmm. uh, just a strict phonetic representation. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, because it's such a common word, will also map it to a single stroke such as hoil. Hmm. Which you then, of course, have to differentiate from like H-O-Y-L-E, the playing card manufacturer. But you can do that in various, various ways. There's sort of little orthographic tricks that you develop uh, as you build your steno dictionary. So what do, what do the chords look like? They're just uh, capital letters. They're, they're represented by capital letters. There's a specified stenographic layout. It's 22 keys, and each key can be stroked in combination with any number of other keys. So you, you can do from one to 22 keys at a time. There's also a modifier key called the asterisk, which helps to differentiate like homonyms and commands and things like that. And not all of the letters in the English alphabet are represented on the keyboard. So sometimes it requires a chord of two or three different keys to represent one English letter. So like the initial G sound at the beginning of words is represented by TKPW. Um, hmm. And so you're pressing so, four, ca- four keys simultaneously for that sound? Exactly. Yeah. So on the left hand handles the beginning consonants of a word and the uh, half of the vowels. The right hand handles the ending consonants of word and the other half of the, vo- of the vowels. Hmm. So you can play basically an entire syllable just like a chord on a piano. Huh. That sounds pretty cool. It's really cool. It's fun. It's, it's really a lot like playing a video game. Yeah. I could totally see how that would have that same, same sort of satisfaction of learning those things and getting faster. Yeah, I love it. So the uh, advantage here is efficiency, right? Very much so. Yeah, well, efficiency, ergonomics, and also something that's a little harder to define, but which I sort of try to describe as fluency of thought. Hmm. Because um, up till now, steno has mainly just been used by professionals for professional transcription. But I feel like that's really a fairly narrow use. I mean, it's what I do, and it's what I love doing. But it's such a powerful tool. And since the vast majority of human beings spend their time inputting text in one form or another, like throughout their day, mm-hmm. I feel like steno has a real potential to be used for a whole variety of applications, not just real-time transcription. So steno being used for composition, uh, for example, can be really helpful because instead of having to take each word, break it down into its component letters, and then type out each letter in order without accidentally transposing them and having to backspace and then like rewrite them and, and that whole like incredibly you know minusculized process, mm-hmm. steno is extremely granular. You think a syllable, you write a syllable in a single stroke, you move on. And um, I discovered this myself when I tried to do like the National Novel Writing Month competition, mm-hmm. where you basically write 50,000 words in a month. Mm-hmm. I'd previously done it QWERTY style, and it was like 
agonizing and, and you know, I, my inner editor would be screaming at me by the time I got to the middle of a sentence. Whereas when I did, did it in steno, I'm not saying the novel was necessarily any better, but it was a dream to write because I could basically just speak to myself and my fingers were keeping up with my thoughts. And so I didn't have to constantly sort of start and stop and break down those words into letters and, and have that, that, that whole mechanical process of of relating on the individual letter level. I just related on the syllabic level. And so it was much more like a conversation with myself. Wow. That's really cool. So you're going to do a transcription of this podcast, uh, which will probably be about half an hour or so edited. Uh, Do you have Mm -hmm. a, a sense of what that might take you to transcribe? Um, yeah, that depends. I'm actually a, a pretty fast speaker, so uh, it, it would probably take me a little longer to transcribe myself than to transcribe the average person. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, basically, like I'm certified up to 260 words per minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like my my certification speed. Wow. That's at about. 95% accuracy. Um, but of course, for transcription, you want 100% accuracy. So if I fall behind, or if I, you know, make an error, I'll want to pause and rewind the file. So yeah, I don't know. Um, let's let's call it 45 minutes. Awesome. Yeah. So not, not that much longer than just listening to it straight. Yeah. And certainly someone who is like staying beneath my comfortable 100% accuracy threshold, which I would probably put around 220, 230. Mm-hmm. Um, I could essentially just do it in real time without any editing and, and without any extra added time. Super, super cool. And so this is a different keyboard, right? This is a whole different thing? Correct. Yeah, yeah, this is the keyboard that was invented in 1911 that's basically just been transported into the 21st century, hooked up to a computer and let fly. Wow. That's a lasting design. It's amazing. It's actually, it's, it's really well calibrated to English and different languages have different layouts, mm. but the English stenographic keyboard is probably the, the most widely used and the most well-known. And with 22 keys, it can be tremendously powerful because I mean, another thing that I like to sort of explain when I'm speaking specifically to computer people mm-hmm. is um, steno is particularly powerful when it comes to commands because instead of like I was listening to, to Drew's episode about Vim, I'm, I'm a Vim user myself mm. and I use, do all of my captioning for my deaf students in Vim and I can set up, you know, really powerful, like one syllable commands because it's a two dimensional system as opposed to the, I mean, I can use regular Vim commands too. Like I just send B and W and C and D and all that. Like I use a lot of the very common, you know, ordinary Vim commands just on the steno keyboard. Um, But for more sophisticated commands, Drew was talking about how the Vim layout is very saturated. You know, Mm -hmm. you have just a single letter hook and it's for a specific command. And if you want to put any more commands in there, you have to get more and more esoteric and less and less mnemonic, you know, the, the the commands that you're doing are less sort of directly mapped to what function they actually perform. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Steno, because you don't have a single one-dimensional letter to map to that command, you can use an entire syllable. You can mm. link much more sophisticated commands to a single syllable, and it's much more memorable and much more efficient. So, you know, like my file command, which is just like, you know, colon W space C, colon slash, you know, my path, and then dot text, and then backspace four you know, characters so that I can just write my file name. Like it's, it's a pretty sophisticated number of steps, but because the overall concept is just save this file in my path mm-hmm. as a text file, it can just be linked to a single syllable. Hmm. So you don't switch between uh, your uh, steno keyboard and a normal keyboard when you're using Vim. You just keep using the steno keyboard? Yeah, yeah. I use the steno keyboard for everything in Vim. Wow, sounds awesome. Yeah, I actually rec- recorded a video. I don't know if you can put it in the show notes. But... Uh, absolutely. I know. I want to see it too. 
Yeah, I, I love Vim. I mean, it's it's like Vim, Vim and Plover, which is my uh, open source Steno software that I've been using professionally for the last about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, they were sort of designed to go hand in hand. Like I was learning Vim at the same time I was learning Steno. And every time I learned something in the one, I was like, oh, I need to just pair it up. These guys need to work together. And that was actually one of the big impulses behind me designing and commissioning my own Steno software. So you commissioned Plover? I did. Yeah, I commissioned it and helped design it. Oh, wow. I want to hear. Tell me more about this. Okay, yeah, it's it's a pretty funny story. Yeah. Um, so I, I was talking earlier about how Steno, for the most part, has been just used by professionals. I mean, you know, some people, but before it was computerized, some people would learn it in high school as a way of, like, taking shorthand notes. Like, some journalists would, would use it, some secretaries. But, but mostly, like, professional court reporters who were sitting in courtrooms or deposition rooms. Mm-hmm. And when it became computerized in, in the 80s and 90s, the equipment and the software was just priced at this ridiculously high level. I mean, basically, professional steno machines are about $4,000 a piece. The software, there's, you know, two or three different forms of proprietary software, but it's all about in the $3,000 to $5,000 range. Mm. And and then tuition for steno schools is just horrendous. I mean, there's an 85% dropout rate. It takes most people two to four years to graduate if they do graduate. And the amount of money people spend on, on the education is just heartrending, especially given that only 15% actually get a viable job out of it. Mm. So I decided while I was going through Steno school that there really needed to be an open source alternative mm-hmm. because for, for one thing, I wanted to use like really sleek, efficient open source software that would work well with Vim, that didn't have obnoxious DRM, that prevented me from using it on multiple computers. Like I wanted, I, I knew exactly the sort of Steno software I wanted to work with, mm-hmm. but I also could think of so many people who would really leap at the chance to use this software and this technology in general if it didn't have an $8,000 plus price tag. Mm-hmm. I came up with the idea around 2007, 2008, but around 2010, I finally put my foot down. I was like, I'm really sick of using this $4,000 software. I want the open source version to exist. No one else is going to be able to do it. I better learn Python. I had, you know, I've been like tech adjacent most of my life. Both my brothers are programmers. A lot of my friends are programmers. I had never learned any any programming. Um, Spoiler alert, I still haven't. But I figured like... This was the only way it was going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So I was working in a, a co-working space in Brooklyn at the time, and I put a little sign up in the elevator saying, Python Tutor Wanted. Now, I live a charmed life. So it was my ridiculously, absurdly good luck that the guy who responded to my Python Tutor Wanted ad was a dude with a PhD from the MIT Media Lab mm. who basically just decided to well, first he started off trying to tutor me in Python. I realized pretty quickly that it wasn't something my brain was naturally apt to be good at. And so it would take a very long time before I was able to you know, have the sophistication to write this kind of software, if ever. But fortunately, he got so excited by the project that he decided to just start coding it on his own. And I, I paid him what I could, but he coded it like a ridiculously reduced rate. And then when he had to sort of leave the project for a full-time job uh, across the country, this guy who worked at Google basically called me up and was like, hey, my girlfriend's starting Steno School. I saw the website about your project. Do you need a new lead developer? And so he took it over and, and basically brought it to the place where it is now. And then that original guy is now actually in the process of building a beautiful bamboo and aluminum steno machine for Hmm. we're hoping the the price is going to be around three hundred dollars which is a damn sight better than the four thousand dollars that you have to pay for professional steno machines we're we're hoping to launch that campaign in a little while he he got the pcbs today so it's all really exciting 
so yeah, like just the the tremendous goodwill and beneficence of others have helped me to to get to where we are. And now we have like a really thriving community. A lot of people have been teaching themselves steno. We have one guy who taught himself steno, is a professional stenographer, and is now teaching himself Python so that he can contribute to the project. We have a couple of people who are professional programmers and who have gotten themselves to a reasonable fluency in steno, though I don't think we have anyone yet who's both like professional level in both steno and coding. But we'll get there. Like It's only a matter of time. Wow. That's such a cool story. I love that you, you went out and like decided to make this thing for free for people. Well, I mean, I didn't wind up making it. Like, I was able to just put up my, my specs and tell them what I wanted. And, like, these other delightful, wonderful people just built it for me, mm-hmm. you know? And then other people have added features. We've got an Android clone. Um, we've got all sorts of, like, drilling. Uh, we've got a free online textbook with interactive drills. We've got games. We're in the process of, like, setting up an arcade game suite that will hopefully make the process of learning Steno even more addictive and exciting. Mm. So, yeah, it's been a really cool project just seeing it all come together. What a super cool thing. Now, I'd like to take just one second to thank the sponsor of today's show, Media Temple. For years, Media Temple's grid service has been the web hosting choice of more designers, developers, and creative professionals than any other platform. That's because a single grid account can host anything from your portfolio site to 100 different client projects. And the grid is ready for anything. Hundreds of servers work together to keep your sites online, even if you suddenly hit the front page of Reddit, which I know happens to all of us all the time. Special discount available. For Giant Robots listeners, you can use promo code ROBOT25. So if you do use that code, you will get 25% off web hosting. And the way you use that code is you go to mediatemple.net and enter your promo code on signup. So uh, something I think about a lot is RSI. And so the ergonomics is just sounds really promising. Absolutely. I mean, Steno is by any measure at the very least three times more efficient than than English, though I think by most by both measures, it's more like six times more efficient. Mm. And because you're not constantly twiddling your fingers the way you do with QWERTY, you're just sort of like stroking and then relaxing and stroking and relaxing. It's like I said, it's a lot more like playing the piano than actually typing. Mm. So I had incipient RSI when I started steno school i was doing you know regular qwerty transcription for 40 hours a week and my wrists were killing me yeah. and i go to steno school and you know they'd be screaming by the end of the day but then as i was able to get fast enough in steno to replace my my qwerty transcription all that pain just disappeared i also got a special ergonomic split keyboard steno machine which helped a lot but now i'm able to write at you know 220 words a minute for eight hours without a break and i have no rsi whatsoever which is kind of miraculous that's wonderful yeah Wow, this is this is so right up my alley. It's, <laughs> it's like really fun. <laughs> better, like efficient, better for your body. Uh, this is just, and you can do it in Vim. This is kind of like this sounds amazing. And it's it's infinitely customizable. You know, you basically, like I said, you basically make up your own little secret language of little words that are almost English, but sort of more like nonsense syllables, but they're very memorable to what you want to make them do. So, like my glurch command is, you know, basically copy the word under the cursor and start a Google search in Chrome. Hmm. But you just write glitch, and that all happens. Mm-hmm. So, what does the physical thing look like? So you keep say, you say stroking. What does that look like? Is it still a key press? Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a it's a chord basically. It's yeah, a chord it's of, of one, key presses. one to twenty two keys. You, you keep your your fingers very much in the same position, and they can just go up, down, or in the middle. Hmm. And different strokes can then be joined together. Like basically, Plever will pick the longest available match of strokes in the dictionary mm-hmm. based on on the buffer that it's building. Um, and then mm-hmm. Plever itself is basically just a keyboard emulator. So it just outputs strokes as if they had been written on a QWERTY keyboard. So you know it's compatible with 
any program and, and cross-platform as well, Linux, Mac, and Windows. And so you said um, up to 22. So there, is there some key you hit that says all the following keys are all part of the same chord? Uh, no, actually, the, the single consolidated stroke is sent when all of the keys are released. So you, okay. you start a stroke when you press the first key. Yep. And then as long as a key is pressed, it collects any additional strokes. And then when all of them are released, it bundles them up together and sends those as a single discrete stroke. That makes sense. Interesting. And so Plover runs on your computer and the keyboard talks to Plover and the Plover just outputs like as if I had pressed, you know, A, B or C or something. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a really efficient streamlined system. Nice. So, to, so the rest of my machine, nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Very cool. Wow. Uh, so like, what does it take to get up to speed? <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. I mean, like I said, it's it's not for everyone. About 85% of Stenner students drop out, and even fewer are able to do real-time captioning. Mm -hmm. Like, most people who do Steno do non-real-time, like, deposition work or, or courtroom work, where they're producing, you know, a semi-readable transcript, but there's a lot of sort of raw and translated stuff that they have to go back and edit and compare to audio and stuff. And then it takes them a while to produce the final official transcript that then they then, like, notarize and sell to lawyers and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I don't do any of that legal stuff. I just do exclusively captioning for deaf and hard of hearing people and conferences. So it's basically just got to be right. It's got to be correct right out of the box. Like as soon as I send the stroke, it's hopefully, you know, fewer than one to two seconds after the speaker has said the word. And I really don't have time to be fiddling around with it or putting any, you know, raw steno up there. It's got to be correct, punctuated, correctly translated English. Hmm. So that's a that's a lofty goal, real-time translation. But how about for yeah. someone that's just like me who's like, wow, what if this let me program way faster? Yeah, absolutely. Way faster or even, you know, more fluently. So sure. a, lot of, a lot of people say, you know, well, you know, it's not really my keyboard speed that's slowing me down. It's the rate of my thoughts. But you have to wonder how much cognitive load there is involved in actually breaking down each word and telling each individual finger to sort of type them out in order. Absolutely. Um, so even if learning Steno doesn't mean that you're programming a lot faster words per minute wise, it may mean that you're taking up less less cognition in just frittering away, you know, the, the totally. time. I've, I've said for a while that the time between when you know what you want the text to look like and it looks like that is all wasted time. Yeah, and even even the delay itself involved in typing the word can sort of interfere with the flow of, of thought. You totally. Know? Like, I'm at, like if you ever used uh, like a remote connection like with Vim that's like really slow and there's like a, you know, a third of a second lag or something that just Absolutely. completely destroys your ability to, to make progress. Absolutely. And so even if, even if the pauses are of similar lengths, the pauses themselves might be more productive because the time when you're not pausing, you're just very efficiently stroking the word and then thinking and yeah. then stroking the word and then thinking. Okay. Yeah, so you, you want to think what's what's like, you know, zero to efficient. Yeah. It actually seems to be wildly variable. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I said we, we were getting a pretty good crop of people who have been able to teach themselves Steno at this point. They're, you know, the process is not as user-friendly as I would like. We've mostly got some pretty hardcore, like, autodidacts who have made it successfully through the process. Mm -hmm. But, like, on one end, there's a guy who has been using Steno pretty much for all his text work for the last year and change and says that he's now finally, you know, exceeded his QWERTY speed. Hmm. So he did have to sort of take a while to 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 bring himself up to peak efficiency. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, um, there was a guy who basically got from zero to where he could type anything he wanted in Steno in about three months. There's also a guy who I'm really impressed by who started uh, learning Steno about nine days ago and was uh, immediately like, I'm going to write a blog post in Steno. And it took him like 
half an hour to write a paragraph. Mm-hmm. But still, it's kind of amazing that he was able to assimilate like basically the entirety of our online textbook and then put all the rules together and type out a paragraph nine days after starting. Like, like I said, most people going down the professional route are taking like two to four years. Wow. So it, it really depends. I think it for some people, you just take to it like a duck to water. For some people, it takes a little more grinding. But it's it's fun. It, pretty much everyone that I've spoken to, at least who, who didn't just immediately abandon it, have said that it's like learning a, mutual, a musical instrument or like learning a new language, that it definitely requires practice yep. every day, yep. but that the process itself is really fun and rewarding. Hmm, that's so interesting. So I've I've gone through something like this before, which is I switched I switched from QWERTY to Dvorak. Sure, yeah. Um, and so I felt the pain of like, wow, I can't <laughs> enter text on my computer uh, except for unbearably slowly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I have to say the Steno learning process is definitely more challenging than the Dvorak process because mm-hmm. you're not just learning a different mapping of, yeah. of key locations. Like you're actually learning techniques and strategies to take non-phonetic English words and sort of twist them into semi-phonetic Steno translations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of a long tail problem. Like you can get to a very high speed and efficiency of say the 400 most common English words, like where you're you're vastly exceeding your QWERTY speed very very quickly. Mm-hmm. But what people are finding is that when they have to write a word that's unusual or uncommon, they'll have to sort of screech to a halt and then look it up in the dictionary. And be like, oh, that's how I write that. That makes sense. And then write it and then move on. So. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a while to get to the point where you can just basically write everything you want to without thinking about it in steno. Right, yeah, yeah. So if, if I wanted to take a crack at this, what, I would I need some sort of special hardware that I can get somewhere, somehow? Any N-key rollover keyboard. It's got to have true N-key rollover. Um, okay. And the cheapest keyboard that fits those specs is usually around $100. It used to be 45 N-key but... rollover meaning I can press as many keys simultaneously as I want. Exactly. And, and some, going on. some of them pretend to be N-key rollover, but they're only six-key rollover. So you have to make sure it's at least like 16, but ideally 22. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you just plug that in. Uh, there's a specific like QWERTY to Steno keyboard mapping. And you just pretend that, you're, that your QWERTY keyboard is a Steno machine and start writing with Plover. Plover's free. The uh, online textbook is free. Uh, you can also, if you want something that's a little more specifically designed for, for the Steno layout, uh, you can get the Steno board, which is a $300 3D printed Steno machine that comes in a kit from Italy that you can just assemble with a screwdriver in about an hour. Do I need to solder for that? No, well, you can get the unsoldered version if you want for a little cheaper, but yeah. No, you, you can get the fully soldered version that just you just have to like plug in the wires and then uh, and then just like screw it all together for about three hundred dollars, just depending on the strength of the euro. Okay. Um, and, then, and then the Stenosaurus, the bamboo and aluminum one I was talking about, will hopefully be also around three hundred dollars, and that should we're hoping come out in the next few months. Oh, cool! Is there a Kickstarter for that or anything? It will be a crowd supply campaign, um, but it has not yet launched. Gotcha. Okay. But we can. Is there something we can link to that uh, for people to support that if they wanted to? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like the uh, the placeholder page. Okay, we'll make sure we throw a link into there. Okay, so uh, I guess I'm envisioning a setup where uh, I want to try this out, and so I get some sort of, let's say I go like some sort of specific Steno keyboard, um, and then uh, have that, I guess, next to my normal keyboard and just spend some time on one and then switch when I have to, I get uh, too frustrated or something? Um, yeah, or you can also, uh, there's a toggle, like a Steno command toggle that can that can turn Plover off so you can switch between QWERTY and Steno modes. Okay. Um, but honestly, I think it's probably more useful to just have a dedicated Steno keyboard. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Interesting. This sounds like a, I can't, t- this, this is so me actually right here. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> this is so well, tempting for exactly my personality time. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I, I, t- I give this pitch to so many people and some people are just like, why would I ever want to do that? Like, why would I want to write more quickly and efficiently? What is wrong with you? I'm like, you know what? If that doesn't sound good to you, I can't sell it to you any any easier. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> so for some people, it's just not for them. They don't want to improve their, their typing workflow. But for some people, they hear this and immediately they just like light up and they, they want to jump right into it. So those are the people that I'm speaking to. Yeah, totally. I think that's a good way to live your life in general. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I don't know. So I, I've, I've done this thing before where I take on a weird keyboard situation and <laughs> yeah. become different than the rest of the world. And this is like taking that up to like 11. Yeah. I mean, I will say like, like Dvorak is like a month or two of pain and then you're basically sure. You know, yeah. Yeah. Maybe what? 10, 20% faster than QWERTY and a little, arguably a little more ergonomically efficient, mm-hmm. but Steno will like, once you get to the upper level, Steno will literally double or triple your typing speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that part is, is the appealing part. So, but it, it, will, it will take a little pain to get there. And, you know, like I said, I really want to make it much more fun and addictive and easy to, to get from yep. you know, zero to 220. Um, we're hoping that that Steno arcade game that we're working on developing right now will, will help that a lot, where you just sort of like immerse yourself in one of those old, you know, arcade, one of those things where it, it's like a little spaceship or whatever, and it starts really slow and you're like typing really slow and then it gets faster and faster and it adjusts, you know, to, to your level so that it's just challenging enough, but not too frustrating. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping that if that's like fun and immersive enough that you'll just like look up and it'll be six hours later and you'll just have added 20% to your typing speed. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like that's the ideal way to learn it, but we, yeah. haven't, we haven't quite gotten there yet. Totally. Wow. So for me, this the investment in these kind of things is is so worth it for people that type for a living. Yeah, right? I think so. For, certainly for like transcriptionists, we've got a lot of people who've been doing QWERTY transcription who are like jumping to get into Steno because it's just it's been barred to them, you know, because QWERTY transcription does not pay that much, mm. um, and having to to pay eight thousand dollars for hardware and software costs plus tuition is just completely you know, unworkable. But now that it's basically $100 hardware outlay, free software and free training, it's, I'm hoping that, that there will be fewer and fewer people who just spend their entire day typing QWERTY at top speed for a living. So that's terrible for your arms and not that great for your brain. Yeah. Huh. So have you done programming with Steno? Like I said, I have not managed to get any kind of programming into my brain. I keep trying, you know, yep. but by this time, like I'm 34. If it hasn't taken yet, I don't think it's gonna. And it's it's sad to admit that, but sure. But you, but you you know roughly what it, what code looks like. It's not sure. like pros, and, and I actually right? Do have a, a YouTube video online uh, transcribing a bit of Python from Plover's code base? Okay. So I didn't write the code, but I'll show you what it looks like as if I you know had written the code. Um, we've also got a, a guy, the the one I was telling you about, who it took him about a year to basically exceed his. Speed on Steno, but now he uses Steno for everything, mm-hmm. and he's in the process of learning React, I believe, and he's been using Steno for it and really enjoying the process. So I've, I'm trying to get him to contribute a video of him coding in real time. Yeah, that's that's what I would, I would love to see that because I'm curious how how it all works with a like a very symbol heavy kind of lack no pros kind of thing with code. Yeah, it's so interesting that like a lot of people jump to that as being the sticking point, which doesn't immediately make sense to me because you know Steno can output any arbitrary characters like it's no more difficult to write a piece of punctuation than it is to write an english word so yeah we could you know we have a full complement of syllable of, of, of symbols that we can just you know output uh, you just have to come up with with logical like semi-mnemonic mappings for them mm-hmm. so 
colon is KLN, you know, parentheses is print. Like it's, it's very, it's very easy to do. Like it's, it's not any more difficult to use symbols than it is to use words in Steno. Hmm. So there's, so Steno doesn't take advantage of the fact that words are words and certain words can follow other words. Is there any like interaction no. between those things? No, absolutely not. Um, it's, it's a hundred percent deterministic, which I think is another really big advantage with Steno. Um, hmm. And, you know, I don't know how much you want me to get into the whole like Steno versus uh, voice recognition issue, but this is a big differentiator between them because with voice recognition you just you never know what you're going to get out at the other end of that black box Mm -hmm. you know even if you're trying your absolute damnedest to give the same consistent input each time the output can be wildly variable you know depending on background noise depending on accents depending on the fuzzy logic that they use to sort of predictively figure which word you've spoken beforehand and after that particular syllable and to try and match up what the translation might be steno doesn't do any of that like steno is just complete straight input output you know every time you you give them a particular chord it will look it up in the dictionary it will output it the same each way and so when you're captioning at top speed and someone says a word you don't have to sort of do that like autocorrect pause that you do when you're inputting on your phone and see like did it translate correctly it did Phew, move on or oh my god that's not what i meant like why would i possibly say eggplant you know standard will just you, you'll you'll know your fingers will know whether you've written the right chord and then your brain will know that you're getting the right output every time so you don't need to keep sort of second guessing yourself with every with every uh, keystroke so wh- why is it so much faster? If I have to type multiple chords to represent a word, am I? it seems like maybe I'm doing the same amount of pressing, but I just get to do it at the same time. Well, like I said, it's two-dimensional rather than one-dimensional. So, for instance, like peripheral, the word peripheral, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, P-E-R-I... Well, I have to type it. P-H-E-R-A-L, I think. P-H-E-R-A-L, right. Okay, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's 10 letters, right? Mm-hmm. So that will take 10 keystrokes yep. on, on the QWERTY keyboard. That's one keystroke on the stand-up keyboard. You do peripheral, right? Peripheral, one stroke. One stroke meaning one chord. One chord, exactly. Okay, but you st- about how many fingers are you pressing down? Well, um, you're using five fingers. Mm-hmm. You're pressing, I think you're pressing six keys, but... It basically maps to P-R-E-U-F-R-L, and E-U in that case is standing for the letter I, so it's peripheral. Mm-hmm. So you're pressing fewer keys, that's one benefit, right? So I have to press 10 keys, you press 6 keys. But it's one motion, it's not 10, it's not ten discrete motions to produce 10 discrete keystrokes, gotcha. it's one single consolidated stroke. Okay, so like all your fingers go down at the same time. Exactly, they go peripheral and then release. Okay, that sounds pretty good. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, interesting. So order doesn't matter then in these uh, uh, strokes? Uh, well, order is is determined. Um, and you can do a little bit of sort of wiggling. That's the, the mnemonic aspect of it that interfaces with the phonetic aspect of it. But basically, the, the steno keyboard itself has a determined order. So it doesn't matter what order you plunk your fingers right. down, yeah, yeah. because once you release all the keys, they will be rearranged into what is known as steno order. Okay, right. Which is another benefit because I can I'm like typing peripheral. I'm sure I would like transpose characters exactly. all over the place. Exactly. No, that's a huge thing, and it's it's such a, a cognitive burden. Again, like I said, to like first of all for, be monitoring as you're typing for those transposition errors, and then having to backspace, you know, an arbitrary number of keys to get back to where the error is, like and a then caveman. write it. And especially also because when you write words, you sort of have like the muscle memory for a whole word, but then when you're just writing half of a word because you made the error in the middle of the word, like you don't have the muscle memory for that, so you have mm. to like take an efficiency hit there, and it's just it's a mess. With steno, if you make an error, you press the asterisk key, which basically removes the last stroke from the buffer, retranslates the buffer, and then you can just type the stroke again. So mm-hmm. error correction is much, much easier with steno. 
Mm. This all sounds great. It's pretty awesome. I love it. I love my job and I love bringing Steno to people who wouldn't necessarily have anything to do with court reporting or captioning, but Mm -hmm. who deal with text like all day, you know, translators, coders, novelists, people who have to like, like write a lot of emails, do data entry, like all those people are, are are saddled with this terribly inefficient QWERTY system. And, you know, it, it is definitely a learning curve. Like it is, it is a significant investment of time and effort to get up to efficiency in Steno. Mm-hmm. But once you're there, everything is just so much more beautiful and simple and easy and clean and clear and efficient yeah. and elegant. And and I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of the an investment philosophy where something you get to do something that's maybe, you know, painful and takes time, but is going to pay off for you richly yeah. over the years. And it sounds like this is one of those things. It's not worth it for everyone, but definitely for some people, they've really found that Plover has uh, improved their quality of life. And, and they've, you know, taken it up as a new hobby. You know, I also like it's given an opportunity for people to make their own like DIY steno keyboards, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, like electronics hobbyists and stuff like that. It's 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 a really fun community, and everyone's just been contributing everything back. So all our resources are open source, and people just hack on them and and do cool things with them. It's it's really fun. Super cool, awesome. Well, this is great. I'm I'm really glad we got to talk, chat about this. On the surface, this this did not sound like the coolest thing ever, but as I hear heard more <laughs> about it, I was I'm totally sold. This sounds so cool. I mean, what can I say? It's it's my own particular pet obsession. So I think it's interesting, and I I hope it it's of interest to at least some of your listeners. Yeah, totally. So uh, someone who's interested in getting started, we talked about like how to get keyboards. Uh, looks like there's a a plover site they can go check out. Openstenoproject.org. Okay, that's the that's the starting point. Yep. Perfect. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming by and chatting. This was great. Ah, oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, very cool. So today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 164. Thanks for listening.